Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Lily Jamali. Thousands more Californians are under mandatory evacuation orders this morning as the Caldor fire pushes deeper into the Tahoe Basin. KQED's Ezra David Romero is there. Good morning to you. Good morning. So, Ezra, tell us where you've been spending your morning. Yeah, I'm here in Carson City where the sun is red and the skies are dark with smoke. I went to two evacuation centers, one at a community center and one at a high school. There were a few people at each. At the high school, you know, hundreds of students were going to school, mixed with some of these residents who are from Lake Tahoe. That's such a surreal scene to imagine. You have people looking for refuge and then kind of the daily business as usual continuing in the background. What have evacuations been like for people? I know you actually got stuck in the thick of that yesterday. Yeah, I was in Tahoe around 9 o'clock yesterday morning, and the streets were bare. And then right when the mandatory evacuations happened around 10 or 10.30, the streets almost instantly packed up. And for the next four or five hours, there were cars lining up for a couple miles trying to get out of the valley. And at one point, I just pulled my car over because I had to file stories, and I just sat next to them and watched the same car move inch by inch over an hour. And so after a while, they cleared up, but it took hours and hours. And you spoke with someone named Thomas Howdap, who was forced to leave his home. Let's take a listen. Well, a lot of us have been here so long, we don't really want to leave. You know, this is our home. Um, So we're going to go over to Nevada and wait and see what happens and try and get out of the smoke. Thomas, he actually didn't even know there was an evacuation order, so I told him there was one, and then he left the city. But I think that was sort of the sentiment for a lot of people, and I realized that when the streets got really packed, a lot of people were waiting for that mandatory evacuation. A lot of people weren't taking the assumption that they should leave earlier when there was voluntary ones. It was when the mandatory ones, when everyone got out, and that's when the backup happened. And there is, in fact, a mandatory evacuation order in place, upgraded from a warning for the city of South Lake Tahoe today. Um, I want to talk to you about the firefight involved at the Caldor Fire. It hasn't grown a ton overnight, but the pictures that we've seen on social media paint a really grim picture, Ezra. What is your sense of how much of a handle firefighters have gotten on this fire? From what I've seen and listening to the briefing, the small amount I heard this morning, it seems like you know firefighters have been going 24 hours a day, seven days a week at this point. And from what I saw on social media and other reporters out there, you know, fire crews were in this place called Christmas Valley in Myers, trying to protect homes right when the fire came over Echo Pass. And basically, imagine fire falling over a pass into this valley where a bunch of houses are. Um, they were working really hard 
to have it not harm those homes. And from my understanding, it hurt very few of them. Ezra, from what you can tell, what is next in the fight against this fire? They're going to try to keep it away from South Lake Tahoe at all costs. But I think the big thing that they're dealing with are embers, right? The fires can burn, but an ember can fly through the wind and go up to a mile away and start a fire. And so that's challenging the fire fight. And that's actually how some of these little fires happened yesterday. So they're going to continually be fighting these embers as the fire continues on. And I want to take a moment also to just reflect, because you know the Lake Tahoe region so well. You actually did an entire podcast called Tahoe Land on the area. And you were talking years ago about how climate change posed a threat to the idea of Tahoe, to the way we envision that region. What are some of your personal reflections as you return to that area, given what's going on right now? Yeah, we had a podcast at Cap Radio called Tahoe Land. And in that podcast, we looked at the year 2100 and what climate change would look like in the Lake Tahoe region. And so we interviewed about 50 scientists, talked to about 100 people who live in the valley, and we envisioned what that year would look like. I talked to a source in the valley yesterday, and he was like, that scene you made in the beginning of the podcast where you envisioned a valley with smoke and all this happening in a wildfire there isn't happening in 2100. It's happening now. And so that's kind of where I'm at. You know, we envisioned something that was going to happen way, way in the future. But because of climate change, because of fuel management in these forests, it's going on right now. And so in some ways, for me, it's a surprise. But in other ways, it's not at all because scientists have been talking about this for a long time. I think when I've talked to scientists and other people in the valley that live there that have evacuated, they have lost a little bit of hope in the system that we can stop these kind of mega fires, especially now that it's coming to for their homes and their city. And so there's a lack of hope from what I'm hearing, but I'm also understanding that the impacts of climate change are upon us. They certainly are. KQED's Ezra David Romero, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Well, California public health experts consider heat-related illness and death to be preventable. And California is one of just a few states in the country with laws on the books meant to protect workers. But Californians continue to get sick and die. 
As part of a collaboration between the investigative unit at Columbia Journalism School, NPR, and KPCC, Jacob Margolis looks at the scope of the problem. To understand California's efforts to prevent heat deaths, you've got to go back to May of 2008. Another ugly day for stocks. The housing crisis was in full swing. Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor, and 17-year-old Maria Isabel Vasquez Jimenez had made her way from Oaxaca to the United States. She wanted to help her mom live a better life at home, says her uncle Doroteo Jimenez. She got hired to tie up white wine grapevines at a vineyard near Stockton for the same company that made two-buck chuck for Trader Joe's. One day, Maria was out in the field working when temperatures crept up into the high 80s. Her supervisors didn't provide water or shade for some nine hours while she baked in the sun, according to a Calosha investigation. Dehydrated and suffering from heat stroke, she collapsed and died a short time later. It was in the hospital that they found out that Maria was actually two months pregnant. Doroteo says he's angry because it could have been avoided. California already had heat standards in place when Maria died. Her death made clear that the bare minimum shade, water, and rest still weren't being provided. Here's then-Governor Schwarzenegger. It's inexcusable that those people that pick the fruits and the vegetables and do all this kind of work, that they shouldn't get the right working conditions. Since our heat laws went into effect, 73 workers have died from heat, according to data from Cal OSHA. Five workers died just last year, and multiple experts we spoke with told us there's a good chance that the number is even higher. Jisung Park is an economist with UCLA. Yeah, we'd not be surprised if the more we learn, the more we realize it's a much bigger issue than we thought. It's unclear how many people get sick from heat on the job in California each year, in part because California doesn't track hospitalizations due to heat, something that other states do. In a recent study, Park estimates annually heat plays a role in some 15 to 25,000 workplace injuries. He pulled workers' comp claims and looked at how hot it was when an injury happened, because heat impacts physical and cognitive ability. At any point above a daily max temperature of 75 or so, we see significant effects on injury risk. That risk goes up precipitously when you're in the 90, 95, 100 plus range. And there are plenty of times when someone falls ill from heat and it's attributed to an underlying condition. The fact that people suffer from heat illness when it's 80 degrees out doesn't bode well for our future, because of course, hotter temperatures are becoming more common as the climate warms. The state could see the number of extreme heat days increase by as much as 20 times in the next three decades, according to California's EPA. And to fully realize the scale of the problem, California needs to effectively track who's suffering from heat so that we can figure out the best ways to protect them. For The California Report, I'm Jacob Margolis in Los Angeles. Some medications used to treat chronic inflammatory diseases like arthritis could make the COVID-19 vaccine less effective. That's according to a new study from UCSF and Washington University. The research team followed 186 people, including some healthcare workers and elderly patients. The study looked at immune system response in patients who received the vaccine. Many produced lower levels of antibodies than expected and others, none at all. UCSF's Dr. Mary Nakamura worked on the peer-reviewed study. We know that these patients did not have a significant antibody response, and that, of course, concerns us. 
Nakamura and others say the findings reinforce CDC recommendations that immunocompromised people should get a booster shot. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, August 31st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.